When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce, and all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. Lighthouses are endlessly suggestive signifiers of both human isolation and our ultimate connectedness to each other. Virginia Woolf wrote that, but Carolyn Woodward and Jeff George have been living it. They're our guests today on Life Slices. We're here now with Carolyn Woodward and Jeff George. Together, they put out a beautiful book called Light Years, Memoir of a Modern Lighthouse Keeper. Carolyn actually wrote the book, and Jeff did the photos. They are lighthouse keepers. I don't know any other lighthouse keepers. You are two originals. Tell us where you're located. We are on Leonard Island, and it is about 25 minutes from Tofino, B.C., if, by boat. By yeah. boat. Yeah. yeah, we are uh, an island, not a peninsula or a cape. Uh, so Tofino is quite well known. It's a resort uh, town, very famous for cold water surfing. If you get to Victoria and travel about four hours north and west, you will get to Tofino. It's a challenging highway. <laughs> well, but it's got to be worse taking the boat out to the island. I mean. Some time of the year, especially this time of year. Today would be a bad day to be coming out here. The wind is really howling today. So, Tell me, what does it take? I'm sure people don't know. What does it take to be a lighthouse keeper? Well, in terms of uh, just the basic qualifications, we should perhaps say that we're in Canada where we do still have staff light stations. There's some in Newfoundland and Labrador on the East Coast. But uh, we're in BC where there's still 27 staff light stations. And they're all the way from uh, Trial Island, which is right up against the Washington border, all the way up to Green Island, I think is our northernmost, which is very close to the Alaskan border. And the other 25 are sort of strung in between those two. So just the basic qualifications are are pretty basic. Uh, Restricted operator certificate for VHF radio, first aid. You have to go through security clearance and things like that to be a federal government employee. Uh, Canadian Coast Guard, obviously, uh, part of the federal government. Uh, we're part of the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Anyway, so the, the basics are pretty basic, but the the other qualifications, sort of the unspoken ones, you know, having to do with living in isolation for, for months at a time, you know, you do have to be comfortable in your own skin. Personally, I, I think it's helpful to have a spouse, a partner out here. I, I couldn't imagine doing this without Caroline. I, I wouldn't have done it without Caroline. <laughs> Those that ability to live in this kind of environment because the job is is seven three sixty five, uh, seven days a week uh, is what we're expected to work and report our weathers and so forth all year round basically the only time we sort of have days off is if we ask for leave you know annual vacation leave that type of thing or if we need some sort of medical situation taken care of uh, we can get off the station but it's there's a, there's a process to it. Another component is is perhaps the more difficult to nail down exactly which kind, but I don't think it's exactly friendly to true extroverts. No, this job would be quite hellacious for true extroverts, I think. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. I think it really is helpful to have hobbies and 
interests and to like being in nature and the wilderness. And it also really helps to have a practical understanding, I think, of being a boater, whether you're a kayaker or you've been a fisherman or something like that, so that you are, you have common sense when it comes to reading the water for our weather reports, which we give every three hours. We are, are, our people that we serve really are mariners and aviators to a lesser extent, this station. At some stations, you know, the the pilots, the seaplane pilots call to say, how's the fog in Nanaimo Harbor or wherever they want to land because they can't see it, of course, from Vancouver. Yeah, a practical understanding of, of water and becoming a student of weather, I think. So, is No, that's what I was going to ask you. I said you have to do these weather reports, but you don't have to have any meteorological training. Well, there is there is uh, training that the Coast yes. Guard offers. Unfortunately, because of where we're at, the process basically is where if you are first hired to come out and give this this life a try, you are sent out without that training. I think there's um, perhaps an interest on their part to make sure that you're somebody that's going to stick around and use that training if they're going to give it to you. So the initial training that you receive is from the other lightkeeper that you work with, except for a couple of our stations. All other stations are two person. And so you would be trained by the, the senior keeper that you're working with on the weathers. And that person in turn, you know, should have been uh, certainly trained we receive, I think it's a five-day course, you know, through the Coast Guard on uh, the basics. You know, obviously, we're not full-fledged meteorologists, but uh, yeah, we do get the basics in terms of the, the type of weather reports we're expected to call. So you're not going to go from here to the CBC, start doing weather reports? No. No. Okay. No. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I know, Jeff, you said it helps to have a spouse. I would imagine it also helps to have a spouse you get along with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of... <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Because the other aspect of this job is that you have to work with and sometimes live with your, your other light keeper, right? It helps to give each other a lot of space, you know, so that you have your own interests. And then it helps to have a convivial life. It really helps that I'm a good cook and he's really good at doing dishes. And eating. <laughs> and eating. And eating. Yeah, I noticed she didn't say anything about your cooking abilities. He's a great chili and a very good pizza builder. Yes, those are his fortes. Chili, I could live on on chili and pizza. Yeah, not a bad way to go. Not a bad thing. (laughs) But don't worry, Jeff. I'm not proposing or anything. So let me ask you. So you guys have been doing this for how many years now? I guess it's about 14 or almost 14 since I began. And it was roughly a year later that Caroline came out. Caroline joined me. Like when I first started, I went out to a a little place in Queen Charlotte Sound called Egg Island. I mean, all these places are pretty little places, but this is a small island out in Queen Charlotte Sound, about 20, 22 miles north of the northernmost tip of Vancouver Island. I went out for a six-week stint, and it was extended, and then it was extended again, and I ended up spending uh, four and a half months out there. had a wonderful time. It was a great introduction. It was a very wild place, lots of sea life, you know, humpback whales and Pacific white-sided dolphins and eagles and falcons and so forth. But And Caroline, fortunately, because I agreed to stay on, uh, I think they appreciated it enough that it was arranged for Caroline to come out for a visit. And so that was that was wonderful. Right. A to see her and B for her to get to see and have a little taste Mm -hmm. of this life. Now, you got you're not spring chickens. You don't mind if I 
No, say no, that. we, we are all chickens. We're grizzled. <laughs> we're grizzled chickens. Autumnal. <laughs> you have you had a life before you did this. What was yes. your life like, like before becoming a lighthouse keeper? We uh, worked in a lot of arts organizations in Nelson, BC, and we, uh, which is a great little artsy town, you know, in, in the Kootenai region, just north of Spokane. Uh, we uh, opened a bookstore and we became parents. In New Denver, BC. In yeah. New Denver, yeah. BC. Which is a beautiful little village on the yeah. shore Spokane. of Spokane Lake. And that, that was wonderful. In terms of business and, and making money, it maybe wasn't the wisest thing to have oh, done, no. but it was uh, a very <laughs> idyllic location, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, and then I got a, a really good, very consuming job uh, working as a publisher's rep for about 30, 34 different companies, American, Canadian, and European uh, publishers. So, And Jeff got a job with a, a whole um, distribution, uh, paper distribution, you know, books, distribution change and magazines and stuff like that. So we sort of did more booky things, you know, and I worked for a publisher in the Kootenays too. And so there was always books and I wrote a couple of books and in the early nineties and I wanted to get back to it. And I began to realize I would not ever get back to writing my own books again. If I was always so busy peddling everybody else's books to bookstores and libraries and museums and so forth, right? So when I came across a relief uh, lightkeeper, I started quizzing him about the, the work and the life. And I just knew Jeff would like it. And I, I grew up in a really isolated homestead up in northern BC. So I knew I could handle the aloneness and I wanted to be able to write books again. But and, how did you run yeah. into, you ran into a, a lighthouse keeper and yes. And- how did that happen? I, I was on my way with my little Chev tracker filled with books and samples and catalogs over to an island where there was a really great museum in Alert Bay, a First Nations museum, and a couple of little gift stores I needed to pop into as well. So I boarded a ferry, BC, and this um, little Jack Russell came running onto the ferry deck it was one of those open decks where I thought, oh, my Lord, there's a big logging truck is going to come on and squish this little guy. So I sort of cornered him and picked him up because I like dogs. And and then this middle-aged man came running around the corner looking a little bit frantic. And I knew just who the dog belonged to. <laughs> so that's how we got talking. Right. And he was a very interesting fellow. He was a quite a high up civil servant. And he just he Went, retired. Who had yeah. retired, but he hadn't retired quite yet. He came to visit one of his sons who was working for a fish boat out on the West Coast. And he was trapped in the interior in this in the city. He looked at the ocean and he went, I'm going to give up my job. So he retired and used the civil service to find another job. And he found relief lightkeepers on the federal Coast Guard uh, Department of Fisheries and Ocean site. So he explained to me that's how you do it. And Jeff, you know, his fingers were flying on our computer at home too. I knew I saw this man who had made this big shift in his life to have more adventure in his life. And I knew that Jeff and I had that same urge. Like even though we had these good bookie jobs, we really wanted to do something more before we were really too totally decrepit to do anything interesting. Because you do have to be quite handy and physical out as a lightkeeper too. Yeah. You know, we have 
out here. We've got 12 uh, buildings to look after. We've got immense lawns and all sorts of hedges and, and, it, and stairs everywhere. So it is a very mm-hmm. physical job as well. And it's just as, the two of you. Yeah. There's yeah. no support staff or anything. No, no, no. No, I mean, we do have when like something really big happens and we go and Jeff's very handy. But if he goes, yikes, you know, this is electricity or this pipe's gone or whatever, we can uh, we alert our good work crews, the Coast Guard work crews, and they will get flown in and the guys will fly at the skill. We have different shops. We have a machine shop and the mechanics can come out and work on the diesel generators. We have electricians Mm -hmm. to work on our solar and battery system. And and then we have a carpentry shop that will work on the actual structures like the home we're in right now. You know, if there's a leak in the roof or something like that, they can come out and yeah. So they've got, and there's a welding shop as well, you know, in terms of railings, uh, we have some walkways and whatnot that are quite a ways off the ground. Yeah. All of those shops, are there they're a support team of sorts and uh they do that kind of work when it gets pretty technical yeah beyond just maintenance now a lot a lot of people may think that being lighthouse keepers you actually live in the lighthouse but that's not the case just no, I don't think it's well. I guess I shouldn't say it's never. Do. Yeah, they, a lot of people that, do yeah. think that, and we <laughs> have had some lights like uh, Trial Island, the the house that's there. Uh, once upon a time, like it's still the original house, and it was a lighthouse. There used to be a light coming out of the roof of that house, and it was taken down at some point, and a, a separate tower was built. But there was a few of those on the coast here. But now uh, they're all separate towers. One at Pachina Point is a very large one. Back when there used to be, during World War II, there used to be a few more people living on the station. It's actually a big enough octangular wooden structure that they held, had a little schoolroom in the bottom floor of the, the lighthouse. But our our uh, tower here is made of concrete and it's a spiral staircase and you can kind of touch like both walls. It's not terribly wide. And How so- often do you have to go up and down those stairs? It depends a lot on the weather and and whether or not we need to clear the cupola uh, windows, you know, so that the light can be seen clearly. Uh, During snowstorms, you've had to do that sometimes when it really sticks to the window. One of the problems we had out here is when we shifted from the big, powerful, hot kind of lights to smaller, more efficient designs is that we we lost that heat. And so uh, we, we went through a period where we had some trouble with condensation in the cupola. We've come up with a solution here on Leonard, and I think other stations have come up with their own solution where we have a dehumidifier and we run a hose all the way down to the bottom and, and so forth. And, and that seems to do a pretty reasonable job of keeping the air a bit drier and warmer. So that happens less often. But basically, it's regular visits just to clean the windows and so forth and, and make sure everything's okay. And of course, if there's an emergency and the light goes out, which has happened on a few occasions, we obviously have to go up. And then there's jobs like painting the, the hand railings around the cupola. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's always kind of a nice job. Best view on the station. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't, you don't actually change the bulb or do you? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have had to on occasion, but it, but it is actually set up on an automated basis where there's a bit of a wheel and it's, it, it's a great design, right? Where if, if a light does go out, that it will automatically, or it's supposed to automatically turn onto the next light. The new bulb will, will automatically move into place. So, and there's a way that I can make that happen if, it, if for some reason it doesn't want to happen. I can manually kind of force that. Generally speaking, uh, changing the light bulbs, I won't even tell you how small the light bulbs are nowadays. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. Not like your, your typical bathroom light or something and just going and screwing in a, a, think, a little Think bulb. smaller. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's pretty powerful. It's just mm-hmm. uh, again that the, using the optics uh, nowadays they're they're plastic instead of the old Fresnel lenses, you know, which were just beautiful. And again, Pacina Point I mentioned it earlier, and they have their old original tower, and they have a beautiful double bullseye uh, Fresnel lens. You know, you can look it up online what these things look like. They're just magnificent. But so you needed a light bulb. Take the, take us through your a day in the life of of a lighthouse keeper. Well, Jeff gets up at three fifteen these days in the morning. He goes out and looks at the weather from two or three different spots, tries to see in the in the darkness, you know, how far he can see. And we do have lights and other markers that we use, depending on the moonlight as well. And then he heads back to old, one of the oldest buildings on the station, built in 1904, the radio room and office. And he is in line with a group of six light stations on Vancouver Island who give our weather reports to Prince Rupert Coast Guard Radio. And that those reports go on the website immediately for any fisherman or anybody else who wants to check what the weather patterns are doing. They're also on the uh, continuous marine broadcast of Coast Guard Radio. So Prince Rupert compiles this recording. You know, it's got forecasts. It's got warnings about navigational issues. And it has the light station weather reports that are on that. So uh, a mariner can just tune into that channel and just let it roll over. And it just repeats itself on a loop, basically, right? And so they update that every three hours. And also with our weathers. We do do special weathers as well. Just If the weather worsens significantly, we'll call in a special weather at any time of the day, whenever it happens, that we either the wind gets up, the seas get up, the visibility drops down, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So uh, we do weathers except for the specials, like Jeff was just saying, when we do, because they're a danger to mariners or aviators. We do the weathers every three hours ordinarily. And Jeff does the morning shift. So he does three weathers and I do the afternoon an evening shift, which is four weathers. And then Jeff usually, because he's the the principal keeper, he has this rolling list of of tasks that we need to do uh, on the station. So that's, you know, everything depending on the season of the year, the time of the year, what needs to be done, or if we're expecting a crew or a safety audit, or the environmental people are coming in to look at the wind turbines and you know, uh, light stations kind of have a, or lighthouses have a reputation for this pristine look and the red and the white, and, and we all uh, do our best to maintain that. So you have a sole, I mean, an isolated island that you're on. What kind of creepy things can happen? I mean, it just seems like a, a great setting for ghost stories or monsters. I was just watching a movie, The Giant Behemoth, with a big sea serpent. It's like, I'm guessing you have never seen a sea serpent. No, no, <laughs> we have seen a humble squid that sort of got it was mashed and very dead. And oh. all the eagles and crows and, and seagulls were dining on it. And it was it's really quite a massive, gruesome looking creature. And it was like trapped in one of the little uh, channels around our island, like our lighthouse is here because we're surrounded by very spiky black uh, reefs and islands, right? So we're here to warn people you're in, you're going to start coming into Clackwet Sound. Whereas other lights like Friendly Cove or at, at Nooka Island, where we've also worked a lot uh, further north up the island, it's obviously Friendly Cove. It's a, that light means this is a safe place to come into and get out of the storm because there's a very good harbor in but- there. 
you also want to come in on the inside, obviously. You don't want to be, yeah. you know, coming in on the outside. And so we're navigational aids. But, but yeah, no, I don't think there's been, a, mm-hmm. in terms of more yucky type things, you know, one of the issues is every so often we'll have a dead sea lion or a dead seal that, oh. that tries to uh, land on our beach. Uh, most times we do our very best to push it back out to sea because it's an awful thing when they do, especially if you have a dog, which we used to have. And uh mm-hmm. Most of the time we've been successful pulling, pushing these giant things out. We have to wait for a high tide and then hope it gets taken away. Um, sometimes that we've had them and, and the, the smell is something else. But you uh, haven't tried but, using it as a topping for one of your pizzas? Uh, no. No. <laughs> or in your chili? Again, Never even a gradient in the chili. It, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, some people, uh, light keepers included, feel like, oh, there's, there's ghosts everywhere and so forth. But I find... I'm walking alone in the dark. I want to keep my imagination reined in. And also, you know, there's, there's some stations where there's bears, there's cougars, there's wolves. We are very fortunate here in that we've just had a couple of deer swim over once or twice in all the years we've been here. Uh, there's there's real dangers like those wild predators or there's um, sometimes you 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 know if you're on a busy station with a hiking trail you'll get folks that you know sort of camp pretty close and and that can give you a bit of a start because you didn't know they were there but yeah so I, I figure you know keep watch where your feet are so you don't fall in the middle of the night while your partner is sleeping focus on that one foot in front of the other and and <laughs> and the weather what's going on and and rein in your ghost ghostly imaginings <laughs> what is it like to be a lighthouse keeper in the middle of a big storm oh it's thrilling it is it's it's exciting like a really big storm especially with i'm thinking the strong winds sometimes we're fortunate where we get although even they can be a bit scary where we get big seas right the swell comes up you know from a storm created somewhere else in the pacific and we get these massive uh swell that come in and smash usually i I feel safer there but when we have wind storms where the wind gets over storm force uh you know toward 50 knots and and if we get up to 60 65 where you're actually a little bit scared just moving around because the strength of the wind i mean not only could something like branches off trees be thrown at you, but you're actually uh, a little bit afraid for your own safety in terms of staying on your two feet. It's that strong a force. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a sobering, I find just, yeah. you know, a little bit scary and a little bit sobering. Like yeah. we're not in control here. Uh, Mother nature is. Have you ever had any problems with ships being washed ashore? Or not, a, not here. No, we, we've had uh, a couple individuals who lost their way a father and a son uh, in the fog and landed here fortunately the young i think four or five year old son uh spotted our light and he actually thought we have all these resorts nearby uh, about a mile away on on vancouver island and he thought they were going in the right direction and the light he was seeing was a street light or a light at the resort but it was our light from our tower and so they paddled toward that which is a good thing because if they changed course a little bit they would have been heading out to the open Pacific. So it was good that they did land here. But other than, oh, we had that nav aid from the, uh, from the U S from Washington state that I went out one morning to do my first weather at three 30 and, and there's a flashing red light off our reef uh, where there should be nothing but possibly ships or, you know, but basically open water to Hawaii. And all of a sudden there's this flashing red light out there. So that that was the eye of the behemoth. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the red eye of the devil or something. Yes. 
But yeah, but Jeffrey wasn't. boarded that and, and it was bobbing around a very expensive, very heavy piece of equipment. Apparently, it was the second or third time that this big buoy from near uh, Nia Bay in Washington State slipped its moorings. And as the captain of the uh, American Coast Guard ship that came up to retrieve it, uh, after our Coast Guard guys uh, towed it into right. the harbor, the American guys said, you got a real beautiful country up here. And, and this buoy seems to want to come up here and enjoy oh, it. Just <laughs> visiting. Visiting, yep, slipping its moorings. But yeah, it, it would not have been a good thing for that big buoy to have bobbed into one of the reefs. It's just a wonderful fluke, oh. didn't Describe your island. What is it like? How big is it? What's there other than these houses and the lighthouse? We've been told it's, what, 22 acres? Uh, yeah. It, that seems a bit too it, large. It, it must have been a very low tide, so there was more land uh, exposed. <laughs> But it's uh, on our what we call our front side, I guess, the, the side that faces out to the open Pacific. There, there is this reef. And it's, there's a channel right in front of us. There's rocks and there's sort of a lagoon area. And then there's the, the bigger rocks out on the outer reef. And then after that, like I say, it, it's open water. On the island itself, the houses are on this outer edge where we're exposed to the Pacific. And on the back side, once upon a time, people on Vancouver Island could see our light turning around and flashing and so forth. The forest has grown up so much now that, that most of the people behind us can't see our light. And it's not really necessary for navigational purposes, right? It's just a little stretch right behind our island that can't see it. So yeah, the back part of our island is is forest and we have trails that go through there. It only takes 10 or 15 minutes if you're moving quickly to walk around the island. There is a second sort of part, what we call Lesser Leonard, and there's a little cut that goes through and basically have to kind of cross this water to get over to the other side. Usually the only visits we've made have been by kayak. Yeah. We just sort of paddled around. There's one little beach on there and you can land there and, and kind of explore and feel like you're Robinson Crusoe for a, an hour or so and check out this Actually, other Actually, I had a classmate once that we used to call Lesser Leonard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Another story. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you're, but you have not seen a Sasquatch on the island. No, 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 no not like I say. We're we're fortunate in terms of from a safety perspective that we don't have bears and wolves and and whatnot. Or so, Sasquatches. And yeah. we're Sasquatches. Yeah. Like we, it, the trees here are mostly spruce, very dense, and you know those. When we're looking out at them right now, they're eighty to hundred feet high. Uh, and that's second growth, I guess, eh? Yeah, the island was, I think, close to clear cut. Uh, There's still giant cedar stumps that you can days. see on the back part of the island. So You said there were 12 buildings? Yes. Yeah. One is your house. Yeah. What are the others? There's uh, the assistance house. That's where we used to live when we first got here. And then there's a crew house. And then there's the radio building, which includes the big, beautiful workshop and the old Foghorn building and old engine room, uh, which is now our gym. And then there's the real engine room. There's a battery shed and a fuel shed all down by the uh, turf helipad. Beautiful big lawn down there. Then there's a winch house and a boat house. Jeff runs the winch engine and we have a long set of cables that go down to the water that are very regularly maintained and we can bring loads up and down that line. And I usually work the top end of the hook, you know, receive the big bag of whatever freight's coming up or hook our boat up to it and so forth. And then we've got tower. the tower, the light tower itself. We've got big cistern building also made in 1904 
nobody really knows, but 18 to 20,000 gallons of water in there for fire suppression or uh, pressure washing or the gardens. We've got a garden shed. We've got an electrical shed. Greenhouse doesn't really count. The greenhouse is the light keeper's domain. So how do you think the Canadian government would feel if you turned this into a bed and breakfast? I think they'd frown on it. They know? would frown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like an ideal location. Right, yeah. right. It does. Yeah. And yeah. you know, lots of lighthouses, you know, that are decommissioned in Europe and Britain and and even the states, of course, too, are run by communities or or other, you know, historical societies and so forth as uh, B and Bs. You know, and it helps uh, a keep the place in good nick. You know, so that vandals don't move in and thieves and wreck places because that certainly happens and when light stations are abandoned has there ever been a moment where you regretted your decision to do this no i i I don't i don't for myself i I don't think so i i think i think i'm glad that sometimes i think it would have been nice to start a little bit earlier but i wouldn't have wanted to start too early i don't think i would have wanted to spend my entire adult life out here but we've been out here like i say for about 14 years and i think this has been a pretty good run yeah, no, I, I don't have any regrets. It's uh, we've done a lot, and uh, we uh, on vacation, and and that was a wonderful opportunity. So between the two of us, we've worked on twelve or thirteen, you know, stations all together, and that really has added to the adventure yeah. of this. Now you said your parent. How many children do you have? One. Just the just the one. Just, yeah. just the one. But he was already grown and out of the house when you started doing this. Yes. yes. Can he come to visit? He has, yes, like pre-COVID and everything. Yeah, he and his partner have come to visit. Now, you did mention the pandemic. I'm guessing this is the ideal spot to live in a pandemic. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty good, yeah. Like, we just simply don't have to, to worry. I mean, obviously, we, we have media here. We have computers. We, we know that it's out there and we're watching it all. It has affected us to the extent that the one I think the biggest negative, uh, which is is far less than other people have had to endure, but but for us and for this lifestyle where you are out here for months and months at a time, a big part of of our life here and and making it pleasurable has been planning and looking forward to vacations. Gone to Mexico a number of times, to Cuba, to uh, Europe. We went for eight weeks one year. We went to India just before COVID. And doing all the planning for those those trips um, for months and months and putting all the different things together. We did a, an Amtrak uh, uh, trip around the States for a month a number of years ago. And anyway, planning those things, organizing, saving up for them, that's a big part of it. And COVID's taken that away, right? Really nowhere to go, nothing that's that safe right now. And uh, so everything's on hold. And, and like I say, I understand everybody else that's out there actually in the communities living with this has it much worse than we do, but we sure miss that, uh, yeah. that aspect. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm guessing there are a lot of people listening to this thinking, but what about Netflix? You, you have <laughs> Netflix, you yeah. have all, all kinds of entertainment stuff. So you don't yeah. have to go out when you're on vacation. Can you go, Oh, let's visit the local lighthouse. Or do you want to go nowhere near a lighthouse when you're on vacation? We keep running into lighthouses wherever we've traveled. This is the part of the show where you get to plug your book. Tell us about about Light Years, Memoir of a Modern Lighthouse Keeper. It's about my first seven years when everything was new to me. At the prodding of my editor, too, she said, well, you led this very busy, very sociable 
life in publishing before you became this isolated lighthouse keeper, right? So you've got to show that. So I, I sort of built the chapters around those episodes in my life. Carolyn Woodward and Jeff George, thank you so much for being with us. It's a fascinating way of life. Well, I don't know. I kind of live like that now with the <laughs> pandemic. So I, it, the only difference would be the water. Join us next time for a new slice of someone's life. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 